Welcome to iPhone. What's going on, guys? Welcome to I4O.、Um, I'm joined today. It's a two-man show. Me and Ryan. How's it going, Ryan? <laughs> hey, Matt.、Uh, good to be back. <laughs> yeah, it's good to have you back. You took a nice long break. Enjoyed your holidays, and now we can get back into some industry 4.0 news. <laughs> yes, so, sir. I'm excited. But uh, today um, we have. It's a bit of a slower week in tech.、Um, although we still have, we're coming right off of the tail end of CES, so. A lot of exciting products were announced. A lot of new technologies that people are pursuing. Most of it we probably won't really see the end of, or we will really not see released. But exciting stuff nonetheless.、Um, but to we have some other news to cover first before we get into CES. So the、uh, first bit of news we have is a recent breaking on the New York Times from Uber.、Um, so Uber is now back on the naughty list. <laughs> Once again in the show,、um, they have made a one hundred thousand dollar payment to a hacker、um, a year or so ago. In no, it's actually November twenty sixteen was when this broke, and、um, they did not disclose the hack at all for a full year, and they paid the hacker a one hundred thousand dollar payment.、Um, it's starting to seem more like a ransom fee than it is an actual bug bounty, and. Uh, this news、um, comes at the foot of several lawsuits that are coming Uber's way. So,、um, I, for one, have always been a big proponent of the bug bounty program, but not if it's used in this way. And I think that it's worrying that it kind of besmirches the name of bug bounty. I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this because it's not—it's not a good look for Uber at all. Yeah, I I don't know why the cover up is necessary, especially when you're paying out that much. It's almost like they're settling in civil court. <laughs> I mean,、yeah. did they did they deliver the payment in cash in a suitcase with a guy in a trench coat? You know, like an old <laughs> old school hat. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it, but、um, they had initially declared it a success,、um, and it celebrated internally as a rare win in corporate security.、Uh, but Dara Kashrashai calls it a like a glaring failure. Um, citing that they had not notified people for a very long time that there was such a deep breach in、um, consumer data, so、um, they did pay. It, it was an outsized amount that was larger than their typical bug bounty as well. So honestly, it feels like they wanted to keep it under wraps. So it's almost like they're、mm-hmm. scared that there are other bugs out there and they don't want to have to pay out for them. You know? Yeah. Yep. So yeah, they're saying、uh, there's attorneys in five states investigating whether Uber broke laws on data breach notifications, and a U.S. attorney for Northern California is beginning a criminal investigation into the matter too. So, I think we're gonna, I think if it would be a good move on Uber's、um, on Uber's end to maybe let some heads roll internally <laughs> on how this is done and maybe reevaluate. Along with, I know several other companies are. Pulling back their bounty program to reevaluate what it means to have that kind of a program. So, I think Uber needs to kind of take a step back and reevaluate what it's doing with its bug bounty program and、uh, kind of iron out their processes because,、um, as I said, this is not this is not good for Uber. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> yeah, but、um, if they can't be transparent, it, I mean, it's a little tough. <laughs> right. Yeah, and something like this, you have to let people know if they're hacked, like their consumer data, like、mm-hmm. they're. The customer is like people are the reason why this company is afloat. So I think they owe it to them in order to let them know. So, but yeah, they say they stand by 
um, their decision to disclose the 2016 data breach, not because it was easy, but because it was the right thing to do. Um, it's a little bit late, <laughs> but <laughs> I, th I think that, uh, I think that it's, it's still good that they did it. So, I mean, yeah. Uber's going to Uber, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but, um, to kind of segue into a little bit of, uh, into other news, uh, 39 million Americans now own a smart speaker. Uh, which is up 128% from January 2017. So um, Alexa and Amazon Echo are still way, way further ahead. But um, as 11%, uh, they were saying, um, the report says that 11% now own an Alexa device compared to 4% of Americans. So but in total, 16% now own a smart speaker. So this is becoming a very legitimate piece of smart home tech. And I think uh, I think both of us can agree that it's it's a very intuitive piece of tech that almost naturally was going to come into play because yeah. the it's such an easy thing to learn. Like I was able to teach my grandmother the basics of the Google Home within minutes. It's just like oh, if you don't know what to say to it, just ask. As long as you use that trigger word, then it will answer or at least instruct you on how to do anything that it needs to do so it's a very easy piece of tech and they're selling them they were pricing them pretty aggressively on black friday <laughs> they yeah they definitely were so mm -hmm. yeah they're very user-friendly and now it seems like between the two between google and amazon i mean having that 16 percent data collection within you know <laughs> the the homes of yeah. 16 percent of americans that's that's a pretty large number there's going to be a lot of data coming in yeah yeah and um they were like going off of the aggressive sales that they were pushing um the article goes on to mention that analysts believe that both amazon and google actually lost money selling these units at the prices that they were but right. just to get that market penetration like they figured that the data coming in is more valuable than the cost that they're actually they're the profits that they're making from this tech because there was a best buy um uh, that I a Best Buy deal that I jumped on for the Google Home. It was a doorbuster sale that was essentially you get two for seventy nine dollars. So it was literally buy one get one free for a Google Home. <laughs> and <laughs> I was like, I'm stupid not to jump on this deal. And I was just like, I know this is going to be giving Google more information and like it's something that I'm clearly buying into the consumer hype for. But I was just like, it's, they're so they're so cool. <laughs> they are cool. They are very cool. Yeah. <laughs> the features they offer are still pretty, you know, top notch. And I, mm -hmm. I can see why they, like, the data to them is always going to be the most valuable. That's why I think, like, that originally I thought they'd even be offering these for free up front because it, yeah. it's, you know, it's good for them to collect all this data. Yeah. And then on, on top of that, it's, it's also uh, looking better for things like podcasts. Uh, maybe people can spend more time listening to I4O instead of watching television <laughs> but um <laughs> they're saying that 30 percent of smart speaker owners are saying that the device is replacing time spent with a tv so that is how you know that it's starting to like not only are they just buying it because it's cheap but they're buying it because it's something that they plan on using a lot for whether it's smart home technology playing music general questions playing games or like in this case listening to music using as a speaker or um, like just listening to news and talk radio so it's it's big and it's um it's starting to kind of work its way up the list so 
um, a lot of people were saying that the time spent using the smart speaker is, is they have this little graph here um, that they broke out. And the biggest thing that this is replacing is uh, traditional AM FM radio. So internet is killing the radio star. <laughs> because I mean, that's my, 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 particularly my grandmother has this giant radio in her kitchen that she uses to play like Christmas music during the holiday when she has family over or when she's like cooking a meal, she has her radio stations on and she can get all of the stations on the Google home through tune in or through, um, through Pandora. So why would she use this bulky radio and you can save more counter space and just have this tiny little Google home. So, yep. Oh, around the holidays, uh, there was a big argument, a big discussion around my family's house about uh, my dad was trying to buy a new amp to connect his CD player and his old record player and everything. And the, the big argument between he and me and my brothers was, why not just get one of these smart home devices to control everything? I mean, you already use Spotify. Mm -hmm. he's, he's very basic on his use of Spotify, but he's still, you know, it's always going to be the optimal. <laughs> yeah. Just being able to stream anything <laughs> yeah, at any time, you know, yeah. in a very clear fashion as opposed to using the older technologies. But he's a stubborn man, so he still <laughs> yeah. went with the amp in the end. But it was a, yeah, big, it was a seeing... large discussion. Didn't exist before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, I spent probably three or four days over the holiday break setting up smart tech for people around the house because once people get these smart devices, they then realize that there's all this stuff that they can do with those speakers and with the voice assistant in their home. So I set up like a, a Wi-Fi system and like I was setting up the Google Home Mini for my dad and I ended up getting him the Ring video doorbell. So once he sets that up i think it'll kind of open the door to more possibilities and um in controlling the smart home like uh there's been some pretty aggressive discounts on things like smart outlets and like philips hue bulbs and like just all of this smart tech that's just coming out and i think it's exciting for the future of the smart home because as people adopt things these processes get ironed out uh, they, it gets the attention, whether good or bad, from security threat perspectives, whether it's a breach that improves security of the smart home stuff or just um, having people have devices in their house that is getting updates whether or not they agree to a download. Because I think that's important. Because like these devices, a lot of the big name ones, and that's why every time somebody comes at, at me with a question like, what should I get? a smart home device, I always try to push them in the direction of the big name sellers like Hue, Waymo, um, Google, uh, Amazon, stuff like that, because you do have third party products, but they typically don't get software updates as quickly as the primary devices. So, and there have been evidence of, of some security issues in the past with third party smart tech. So, um, it's, it can cost a little bit more, but it's good, but um, it's good to see that uh, people were, like I, I was saying yesterday, I think, or not yesterday, I was saying the other day, that like I would see people walking out of Best Buy with like handfuls of Google Home Minis and like, <laughs> and Alexa devices. So it's showing that this is something that people are actually taking seriously. So yeah, the um, demand is there, and it's also pushing the price down. So absolutely, widespread. <laughs> yeah, and uh, 
speaking of demand and popularity, um, Apple appears to have fallen flat on its face this holiday season with um, with the release not only of the delay of the HomePod, so their delay of entry into the smart home technology, but um, CES this year, um, there was a, a distinctive empty void in the air of uh, devices that were specifically geared towards iOS. And um, I say that um, ignoring Qi because Qi definitely did have a presence at CES and there was a large number of Qi-enabled devices and cars that were announced at CES. Um, but Qi's a standard. It's not something that's built into Apple's ecosystem. So... But this um, this uh, article from Tech Pinions says that uh, their indirect presence fades from CES because uh, in years past, we've seen dozens of things, whether it's phone cases or charging cables or uh, devices that are iOS connected in the way that it communicates through an Apple or through, through an iOS app. Um, we've seen a sharp decline in those products in favor of technologies that we had just talked about, like Amazon and Google. And um, I'm just curious to hear what your thought is. And I know it's not necessarily a barometer on the health of Apple itself. They're doing fine. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm just curious as to, um, as to if they're actually missing out on something. And I just triggered my Google Home. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I find it refreshing. I'm, I'm thinking maybe Apple might have to step down on this one and rethink its proprietary only, you know, um, uh, what do you call it? Supporting mm -hmm. cable design. <laughs> yeah. If Qi is the next big movement, because it is the logical tech-wise, it is the best charging tech out there, in my opinion. It's the easiest. It's you get it in. You know, as long as you're in proximity of the charger, you're charging your device at all times. That's it's brilliant. Like, why would you not want that as part of your design? Just because they can't make it proprietary, they're gonna step out for this one. Well, I'm hoping in the future they'll have to cave on this one. You know. Yeah. I've seen all the little broken cables that you have to get, you have to pay, you know, ridiculous prices for <laughs> as they break. Yeah. And uh, the one thing that um, I think that comes out of this that puts this smart home technology in a good light is that the technology that's coming out for these devices is not, it's, it's, it is, but it isn't a walled garden in a way. And I think we've talked about walled gardens before on the show in, in that, um, all of these devices work with one ecosystem or another. And I think we're seeing devices that still come into uh, either the Amazon or the Google boat, but we are seeing a number of products that support both and a number of products that can connect to both services. And I think that's important to note that in favor of the closed ecosystem, we're seeing some products that are uh, unveiling themselves with working for both. And it's not hard to add support for one or the other, so it's possible that we could see some of these products who only support one now expand to support the other assistant at a later time. And we've seen that already in certain products too, um, such as the Philips Hue, because the Amazon Echo devices were the first to market by two years, and now Philips Hue supports everything. Um, but um, the one thing that... We, there's there's one kind of caveat to this whole article is that um, there were devices that were announced that were that were supported by Apple's HomeKit technology, so that can't be ignored. But the point of it is beyond HomeKit. It's um, the large number of devices that 
talking about um, HomeKit was not really as present, nor the amount of devices that were rolling out iOS apps for, for only iOS apps, because you get both for some of these coming out. But um, the amount of exclusive things to Apple's ecosystem was definitely much smaller. And I think this is um, this is almost echoed by the fact that nobody had a HomePod with which to develop their technology for either. So I think if the HomePod had made its holiday release, you would have seen CES technology integrating with HomePod. I think you would have seen much more, but I don't know. You think that, you think that was due to the holiday release, huh? I think that if they had a if they had released a HomePod, I definitely think we would have seen some more smart technology. <laughs> but they delayed it, so yeah, yeah. So they missed out on the biggest holiday season and the biggest tech show in the, of the year Oof. for talking about technology. Um, but I mean, it is what it is, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, so going on to CES 2018, um, because I feel like this is going to be the big the big show for the year setting up what kinds of things that people care about going forward and there was a number of really cool products released and i wanted to talk about them with you on the air just because some of the technology that they were unveiling was pretty awesome like i don't know if you saw a live demo of uh sony's rollable television was it sony or is it lg um but yeah, regardless, they had a the rollable television. Did you see that where it like comes out of the box, or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. I gotta, I gotta get that fact straight though. So at some point, I don't want to get the name of the product <laughs> wrong. <laughs> but um, but regardless, it's and then you had uh, Sony's like modular television, um, a bunch of stuff coming out from VR, new cars, especially Bytons, uh, affordable car. Um, but the, the the rollable TV was LG. It looks like. okay. I'm just I, <laughs> okay. I got you. Yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having hey, me. Hey man, I wasn't sure off the top of my head either. <laughs> yeah, but um, I wanted to just get your your thoughts on like what you thought of CES overall, and if anything like stood out to you in general, um, because one of the things that stood out for me was the we we and we talked about it already, but it was the expansion of third-party smart displays like you had the lenovo uh smart display of where it's basically the google homes competitor to the echo show so it's like a google home with a display built into it yeah and i think that's awesome and i feel like it was only a matter of time but i i'm surprised that it came from a company like lenovo and not straight from google like i feel like google would have been the first one to roll out uh, their own first-party speaker with a screen built into it. <laughs> that is interesting. I'm not sure. Maybe they didn't have the manufacturing in place for that just yet. Maybe. I think they, they were so... The they might advantage. have been... Yeah. They were so focused on shipments from their all of their other stuff, and I think they might have been really busy getting the Google Home Max ready for uh, shipping also. Yeah. So but I think that... Seeing this kind it. of... Yeah. Agreed. But seeing this kind of breakthrough here, it, it means that it'll give them more time to make a specifically designed product to something that's maybe a little more sleek. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how do you put it, with better feng shui, maybe. It's still a little square. It looks cool, but it's still a little <laughs> yeah. square. But the, the best part is that, like, 
not only is it like a, a smart device with a nice screen it's got some thick bezels which i kind of have some gripes about but that's not a big deal <laughs> for a first gen product but right um more importantly it's not ugly <laughs> the I don't, I don't know if you've seen the echo show in person like on a display but it looks like a mini like crt tv that like sits on your table like it's gross i'm yeah. sorry it's like thick <laughs> and unwieldy and like it's only good it's only good looking when it's stuffed into a corner and you can't see it but, <laughs> put but, it up um, as a thermostat <laughs> yeah <laughs> just embedded in the wall yeah but um the one thing that's nice about this is one it's got a bigger screen and two um some of these uh, smart display devices work not only in uh, landscape, but in portrait mode as well. So you can fit them into more places around the house, which I think is pretty cool. It's like a, it's like a dedicated tablet that sits in the end of the, of the room. But yeah. on top of that, um, they have um, a whole bunch of robotics that they unveiled. And I don't, I don't know if you saw the LG video of their robotics that they were detailing but um it was one of the most awkward things i've probably ever watched in my life it was um like an lg rep walking from room to room and they had like uh, a mock house set up displayed out almost like a a little um diorama type thing where uh, they had the kitchen on one side and they would like light up whichever room that they were highlighting the smart home tech into and <laughs> There was a robot that sits in a spot in your house that will, like, it's like a Google Home, it'll, except it turns and faces you and acts all adorable, like a robot would, and it has, like, a face, and uh, they they were giving a demo of it on stage, and the robot just wouldn't talk back to them. <laughs> it just it, it didn't work, and he's like, oh. He's like, stage uh, he's fright. Like, he's like, a little bit of stage fright, huh? And, like, he just kept making, like, nervous jokes as it was totally ignoring him. And, like, I was waiting for, like, a guy in, like, a black shirt and black pants to, like, run out on stage and, like, try, try to, like, fix it up. But, um, oh, that's horrible. He was just like, oh, he's like, look, this is a good highlight because, like, he's like, the smart home tech's early, so we're going to go ahead and show you um, how to do it all from the interface built onto the appliances. And they had, like, a smart washer and a smart fridge and, like, all of that communicated through the same device and stuff like that. And, like, the number of fails that happened at CES was... <laughs> just as prevalent as the number of successes that were announced and um there was a couple of uh devices that were unveiled that were like smart uh like i don't even know how to word it like they folded your clothes <laughs> and it's like smart devices that are built to fold clothing and uh, hey, I'll i take think it. <laughs> the verge the verge managed to break one of them because uh they fed it a black shirt and it was only meant it was only built to work with like bright and colorful shirts at that time so so they like <laughs> stuck a black shirt in it and it was it, like it's one of those ones where there was one of them that you had to like put on to some clips and then it took it in and folded it and now put it in like a folded shirt nicely but this one you could just toss it in and then it would just spit out the shirt folded up nicely but That's um cool. it would it would like pick it up and then like figure out okay this has two sleeves it's a t-shirt, short sleeve, it's not that big a deal. We can fold this and just output it. But, like, they tossed a black shirt in there and it got jammed in the machine because it couldn't figure out what it was. <laughs> so, <laughs> they were just like, the, the video started and they were just like, we're so sorry. Like, we, like, I feel so bad because we, they didn't think it would work and it didn't. And now they're, it's potentially broken. <laughs> <laughs> 
So they're like refrigerator sized machines too, so it's not like it's easy to wheel off if it's broken. Oh yeah. But oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh the they had a bunch of robots and some of it I think was pretty cool, like built around um being kind of like room service for hotels. So like delivering food or uh taking your bags and bringing them up to the room and I think that's cool. And if that technology gets more like fleshed out, you could probably see more robots driving around hotels which would be both creepy and futuristic but kind of cool at the same time yeah so you wouldn't have to worry about them stealing anything from your room so <laughs> that's a i suppose that's a net positive yeah <laughs> but, but uh yeah no i agree like in terms of robotics that the laundry the folding even though even if it didn't function correctly it's still exciting to see because that's in yeah. terms of robotics that's the first thing i want to see i want to see it integrated in my home like assisting me with daily chores at consume time i don't want to spend yeah you know it's like time is the most valuable thing in my life i want to be able to spend it doing the things i want not just doing laundry or dishes or whatever yeah i think a lot of people would agree with me in that aspect like say you had a robotic arm that just took all your dishes and did the dishes for you and reshelved it all so it was ready to go whenever you needed it i would take that in a heartbeat Mm -hmm. oh absolutely yeah no 100 percent. i would love that (laughs) and especially like if i can just take my clothes from like i get a notification on my phone from my dryer and like letting me know that my wash is done and then i take that and then move it over into this dump it into this box and then a robot takes it and folds all my clothes and then just <laughs> like that would be amazing yeah so and I'm, I'm i'm totally with you on that one yeah the, the other thing i see promising is these these actual robotic assistants that move around the house with you I feel, I feel like they're kind of the end game like for now you have these robots that can do specific chores for you but the end game would be to have one robot that did all the chores so, so let's say right. you have that like, because you're not really going to trust, let's say they come up with a robotic lawnmower. Is anybody going to trust a robotic lawnmower on its own? Yeah. It's like, you know, it's a little sketchy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but if you had an assistant that was able to control, like, just a regular lawnmower, would you be more trustworthy of that? Its ability mm-hmm. to not, you know, be as dangerous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For some reason, it just seems like that's the more appealing option. No, definitely. And I think it's, like, I think it's hilarious. But uh, the future is definitely exciting for robotics. And while um, the technology may not be perfect, it's still getting there, which is way better than we can say for years past. So I'm yeah. hopeful for maybe in CES in two or three years, you'll see like much, much more fleshed out versions of those robots that are much more capable and more efficient and won't break and can handle folding black clothes. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh among robots, um, there was some, there was some advent, there was some of the usual par for the course CES announcements, uh, like a bunch of new computer hardware, and I, I, we're starting to see the rise of wireless mechanical keyboards, um, which is pretty sweet. So, I know it's, I, I, I was never really sure what the what the tech hurdle was for a wireless mechanical keyboard. Perhaps it was feedback, and getting the delays down to a certain number, or hammering out the design processes or maybe something with the switches not being a not being powerful enough to communicate with the chip i'm not sure gotta um, keep the gamers happy man yeah <laughs> but now we're starting to see that happen because the people are starting to buy more and more mechanical keyboards um i know that i personally have two so <laughs> um but you're seeing modular mice and the one move that you're seeing with a lot of these mice that came out is they're following in lg's footsteps logitech um, uh, not, not LG Logitech, but um, you're starting to see the push towards a wireless mouse that is charged through the mouse pad by Qi, 
or by some proprietary wireless technology. And I, I, I thought for the longest time that would be the perfect use for Qi, mice. Because, like, I, not everybody remembers, not everybody, like, has much complaints about their mouse, but everybody knows finding batteries or having to deal with your mouse becoming wired if you have a wireless mouse that recharges via, like, a lithium-ion battery. And everybody knows the gripe of what happens when your mouse dies, whether it's during a game or when you're working and like you need to get something done and then your mouse dies and you're like, oh great, now I have to like go <laughs> find batteries and then I have to get the thing done. But um, now you're seeing technology where mice can be charged while you use it and it's still wireless. And I think that's a game changer for mice. And especially because some of it, with the wireless technology, it's improving to the point where the latency is almost as good as wired. So I know Logitech yeah. is like, First and foremost, with that, I think the the upcoming 903 mouse is mm -hmm. a big push in the right direction for wireless mice. And uh, then on top of that, um, they you saw a lot of uh, integrated cooling systems on computers coming out, especially in small form factor desktop computers. Um, a lot of them, surprisingly enough, were featuring Ryzen as their chipset. Uh, I don't know if this was a push in the opposite direction from Intel's debacle that happened immediately before, um, <laughs> but uh, I think it's a quick that's turnover. <laughs> yeah, it's it's business is good if you're AMD. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, it's something that it's interesting that uh, has happened recently. But um, something else that's important though is Intel did acknowledge the the hack that happened. And that was one of the first things the CEO went into when they were doing their, their big keynote. And I know all the big chipset producers and big companies um, do their keynotes at these events, especially even companies like Verizon also. But um, Intel came out and publicly acknowledged the hack, and they said that they were impressed with the tech community coming together to get fixes out as fast as they have and responses as upfront as possible. And... While it, it's not, it's still not good for Intel that this breach happened and it's going to haunt the company for years to come, uh, it's good to see that they did acknowledge it during the show and they're not just kind of like sticking their finger in their ears and like, oh, la, 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 I'm not listening. <laughs> so I'm happy to see that they did that. But Yeah, I, their keynote was, it was big and grandiose and everything, but I did feel like they were mm -hmm. pandering a little bit to their corporate clients because when yeah. you think about Intel, who's their main clientele? It's, right. The corporations you buy <laughs> intel processors you know they're within these corporate products so you, most of most people don't buy them specifically from the manufacturer unless you're like a pc gamer and you're buying your processors uh, straight yeah. from intel so mm -hmm. they had to pander <laughs> yeah they, they went in and did it you know <laughs> <laughs> at least it's over with now i guess <laughs> yeah yeah and, to, um, yeah <laughs> but i mean uh Intel had a, a less than desirable showing at the event, but um, the the other big announcements were from, aside from the smart technology, which was by far the number one dominating factor of CES, the biggest, the second biggest thing I'd have to say would probably be VR and AR technology that came out. Um, there was a bunch of third-party companies that announced... Um, then announced their own virtual reality headsets, but I think the most, the one that got the most hype was the Vive Pro, which is a, a higher resolution, as Urban predicted, 
HTC Vive. <laughs> it's like a natural kind of bump up in hardware specs. And it's exciting because um, I think that not only is the in, the release of the Vive a year ago or whenever, I don't know the exact date that it came out, a big step, but a the fact that they're making enough money on it to integrate or to iterate on the hardware itself is showing that VR is making money. And yeah. the fact that they're able to release a, it's almost like a phone now. Like they just released the next model going forward. And it's like becoming a normal thing now, which is good. And it's proof that VR and AR technology is here to stay. But yeah. um, anybody who owns an HTC Vive can now make that hardware wireless via this. It looks like a, you look like a weird robot. <laughs> whenever you put it on your head it's like an antenna that st- sits on your head that you run all the cables into that you would normally run to your desktop and <laughs> that enables you to have a fully wireless VR experience in your room which is exciting because a lot of people the biggest complaint with VR is that you're tethered to this game like this workstation laptop that normally is huge and then you get people like falling over their cables and like breaking stuff because they can't do that. But this enables you to kind of get a little more creative with your VR tech because now you're wireless. So I'm excited to see where that goes. And it was a really refreshing bit of news to hear that it is backwards compatible with the original Vive on top of being supported by the Vive Pro. So, and it also kind of enables people to, uh, that coupled with the smaller form factor gaming desktops and workstations, um, almost enables bringing the PC into the living room as like an accepted piece of hardware, much similar to the way that you're seeing with like game consoles and like uh, their push towards more powerful hardware. Um, It's exciting to see, and it's a big move forward for PC technology. But um, also one important thing to note is uh, Tesla, if this um, all goes according to plan, is no longer the only game in affordable uh, electric vehicles a uh, a chinese company uh, Byton came out um, it's a startup company and they are going to be producing an suv which looks like it's straight out of the future but it's still tame enough and it's designed to look like a car that came out this year um, <laughs> they're releasing a, a smart car for forty five thousand um, dollars and they say that it's 85% done uh, and it will launch in China in 2019 and in the United States and Europe in 2020 so Tesla will no longer be the only all EV premium automotive experience because you have stuff like the Chevy Volt and stuff but they're not on the same level of Tesla in terms of their build processes and quality and attention to detail but um, the one thing that I'm curious about is that this car does not feature mirrors. It has camera technology that it uses for its mirrors. And assuming um, that legislature does not change in the next several years, I'm, I'm assuming you'll see a mirrored version of this car being released for the United States. Um, but, yeah. I mean, if the camera technology is good enough, then it and the technology around it is like been proven then i could totally see that being a thing especially if the car's got enough sensors monitoring the back as a fail safe where you may not even need the mirror in the first place right you could just see it coming up on radar i could totally see that happening you know cameras being the end all Mm -hmm. yeah the the 
the BMW i8 was the first car I think to do that, to release a mirrorless version of the of its car, but right. it, laws obviously prevent that from happening in the U.S. for right now. But well, I, I do want to see like a like in case those cameras fail. Like I have a camera in my car right now that's that's great. It's better than my rear view mirror when I'm like backing up, parallel parking, all that stuff. But it cuts in and out sometimes. Like the yep. cable in the trunk, if I slam the trunk too hard, it'll be like a little you know like you'll get some interference or something. <laughs> like it's not perfect yet, and I still have to have some kind of manual backfall, you know. Yeah, and mine is built into my car, and it's um, like I've uh, gone into my like backup cam, and it just either hasn't turned on or. Uh, it's been obstructed by something, which happens yeah. more frequently. Like a, there's a water drop sitting dead center. Oh yeah. It, like fish road eyes salt. the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Road salt. Yeah, and it, like it just prevents me from using it. But like, um, I want to see that kind of stuff get hammered out well before this stuff replaces anything manual like a mirror, because I can still back a car up with Same. mirrors. I can't do it yeah. if I can't see anything. Exactly. So <laughs> blind, blind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like I'm just gonna back up and hope everybody's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the the thing about this car that's cool is that they have a 40-inch, what they call a shared experience display that runs the entire width of the dashboard and the front seats. And it will, um, and it's, that swivel, the front seats swivel towards the center by 12 degrees also. So passengers in the back have a clear view of the screen. And it's also going to come with an optional rear display as well for both of the back seats. But... The, the the importance of the, the the importance of this car is not that it's an electric vehicle it's that it's an autonomous vehicle and this whole shared experience thing like apparently is used to sense who's approaching the vehicle and it will unlock the doors for the person if it if it senses that person is the driver um, it will uh, tailor custom profile settings to um, to each person that gets in the car so we'll adjust like their area of the car so that way everybody can be together but everybody gets their own personalized experience in the car and it's like i think that's one of the like aside from just some of the creature comforts that come with a tesla um this is one of the first cars that really emphasizes that i think that's come out that's an all-electric and um i don't know if you're looking at the photo of the interior of this car on the article but um, <laughs> one thing that I'm noticing is that there's no separation of legroom between the driver and the passenger, which is interesting. Normally, yeah. that's completely cut off, but it looks like the driver could very easily get into the passenger seat or vice versa. And there's just like a lot more room in the cabin of the car. So <laughs> can, we, and, can we make the move back to bench seating? <laughs> yeah, it, it's two armrests. It's two armrests. Um, outside of being a bench seat basically <laughs> so it's close but, yeah. but it's cool I'm, I'm like i'm really excited to see this technology being widely adopted and you're starting to see startup companies coming out um and releasing vehicles that are more geared towards the future and thinking about all, the future of autonomous technology because it is coming and it's coming soon so yeah i'm thinking that this is a huge this is one of the sleeper releases of ces and assuming they can meet their deadlines and this company doesn't flop um <laughs> which is because it's, it's hard like it's, uh, i'll it's potential yeah yeah i'll give it to them like it's very difficult for a car company to enter the market especially with the established like elite of car companies like toyota and honda and gm and ford and all these big companies um right 
but um, I'm rooting for them. I think it's a, it's, it's a good sign that they just kind of came out of nowhere, and they already have this proposal. It seems like they've been working on it for some time now, which is a good thing. Whereas Tesla's always been on the forefront, and they've been upfront about it, but they want nonstop investment to, to fuel it. You know, it's like, well, we need right. more investors, we need more investment. Whereas these guys just came out of nowhere, they were silent, and now it's like, all right, we can meet the demand at this date, let's see you actually make it, you know. Yeah. They're not publicly listed yet, as far as I know, because I probably would consider buying stock in them if that was the case. Mm-hmm. And but. it's it's um, it's something that, the one thing that this company has as an advantage over, say, Tesla, is that um, the market that they're starting in, in China, it's much easier to establish a factory in China mm-hmm. and get through their legal hoops and regulations than it is in the United States. <laughs> So yeah. um, I'm really curious to see how this company handles at scale because there's going to be demand. And the article mentions building one car is very easy, but building 100,000 cars is very difficult. So, right. And we've seen this when we reported on Tesla's issues earlier um, as well. Tesla is not having a very good time, and they're only just now hammering out the processes for the Model 3. Um, which yeah. is behind their projections from when they announced it. Um, but I feel like there's going to be other sleeper companies like this coming out of China in the next couple of years, too. This is just the first one. They beat everybody to the punchline. Yep. But I think with all the mandates with Chinese going green in the, uh, like 2020 and beyond, I think there's going to be a couple more that come out that have been working behind the scenes. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it's exciting. Um, but that, literally, they're saying that this this is an SUV. It looks like it looks a lot like a Land Rover. <laughs> yeah. Very similar, but it's yeah. all electric, and you know it's going to be autonomous. It's they're 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 saying it's going to hit the market at forty five thousand U S dollars, which is competitive. Crazy, I think most yeah most SUVs are around that price range right now. Yeah. So and there's but if it's hitting the market twenty twenty, if it hits the market at twenty twenty at forty five, that'll be very impressive because that'll probably be you know under what most SUVs are. Yeah, and uh, just to yeah, it's like it's impressive to see where this company will end up, especially if they're offering. If these numbers hold up, then that's going to be serious, and Tesla's going to have some real competition knocking on its door if Biden can use that funding to even roll out smaller sedan versions of the cars and cater to people who want a different type of automobile. Um, Because once they get this, once they get established, it's basically the sky's the limit for autonomous cars, especially if you're the first one. So, I know Tesla's got a foot in the door already, but if a company can sweep under them and get their processes hammered out and actually deliver cars on time, then Tesla's got a real competitor at its door. So, but um, just to throw some specs out from this Engadget article so people know what they're buying if they decide to buy this car in 2020, um, it's launching um, in China first with level three autonomy in its SUV, which isn't full autonomy. It's very similar to what the Tesla can offer now. And they're saying level four autonomy is expected to roll out to the cars via software update in 2021. So they're, that's a very aggressive push to do in three years to go from level three to level four autonomy. Um, but it's going to have a range of 250 miles for the rear wheel drive version of the car, which is, I think, the base model. And 325 models for the all wheel drive version with 71 and 95 kilowatt hour batteries respectively for both models. Um, They're saying that both vehicles will support fast charging up to 80% in 35 minutes or less, which is aggressive. Um, And the entry level SUV will have 272 horsepower while the more powerful version will push out 476. So these cars will be able to go fast. So that's, (laughs) 
it's important, I think, for people with electric cars to be able to impress all their friends with how fast these things can pick up. <laughs> fast and silent. <laughs> yeah. So they're on the right track. I, I'm excited to see where Byton goes, and I'm I'm sure that we're going to be hearing more from Byton in the future. So, yeah. but um, yeah, I don't know if you had a, a favorite thing from CES that you wanted to talk about, but um, aside from like all the eight K TVs and modular displays <laughs> and stuff like that, um, I don't know if you had any kind of um, anything you wanted to bring up particularly about CES uh, before we. Um move on a little bit I, I i do want to go back over the the mouse thing i think is the biggest thing for me because i do plan on getting one of the logitech 903s at 703 yeah. i that's as far as i know that also supports chi yep. um yeah but because i've had my eye on that wireless charger and they released it around black friday time at least that i saw like they had limited quantities and i tried to get it but it was expensive i was like i'm not gonna spend that much on a mouse pad just yet <laughs> <laughs> so i'm holding off for a little bit hopefully we'll get some bugs out maybe and yeah. But definitely, that's that's going to be a future investment for you, for me because oh, you know, sure. just working in tech, it's a necessity. <laughs> yeah, I've got the Logitech uh, G602, I think, and that one has yeah. been a fantastic mouse, but it's battery powered. So, um, yeah. I want to see. I think for me, I'm waiting until they release a larger mouse pad version because I use a, a bigger mouse pad than normal people do, because I like <laughs> having that kind of surface area. But I want to see yeah. that, and then then I'll start uh, looking into some some of this wireless technology because it's exciting but um it is. the big thing for me was the the computing um, technology that was coming out i was excited to see particularly um the one thing i thought was really cool was razor's project linda i don't know if you saw that uh, announced but it was uh, the um it was the laptop which connects to the razor phone um, oh right no i did see that yeah 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 the razor phone used a touchpad yeah it like slots into it and um even i was watching them uh, showing, playing some of like the the, uh, the MOBA style games like League of Legends or whatever they were playing like an arena style game and on the phone it had like a display of like your health and stats and stuff like that so it worked as a supplemental display to the main display while it was like inside of an app so I thought that was pretty yeah. sweet but um, a lot of this technology I'm starting to think that like laptops and smaller form factor like ultrabooks i think are going to go the way of these like shells where you plug your phone into it and your phone mm -hmm. turns that into a workstation so yeah um i i don't know why but i feel like that's going to be where tablets go in the future like uh, I, I agree do you remember when ubuntu tried that a few years ago yeah <laughs> <laughs> didn't work so well but didn't work so well then but i think we're getting closer in terms of uh computer processing power <laughs> yeah especially when you're seeing uh things like last year we had samsung's dex uh software which turns the galaxy s8 into a workstation grade like laptop it's almost like a desktop experience through yeah. a hub and now you're seeing things like project linda and then there's even there was a there's a couple of them I saw that came up on Kickstarter over the course of last year also that were looking pretty good and they were more universal Android but um, you're starting to see it and I think that there's going to definitely be a niche market for it where people who are currently working with ultrabooks and don't need the full experience of a uh, fully built out operating system will make the switch to this um, much in the similar way that Chromebooks are starting to get popular yeah so but it's exciting and ces is always good at impressing people and like there was the robot that was trained to play ping pong stuff like that 
<laughs> but um, I think that's that's really all we really can say about CES without kind of going back over some of the big stuff. But um, one thing I did want to mention, and this news broke the other day. Um, this is Sunday, so the I don't know if you heard about the Hawaii false alarm that happened yesterday and yeah, that I, I awful <laughs> piece of news. <laughs> but um, for anybody who hasn't heard about this, um, I felt like it's important to mention just because it does involve uh, technology and is important in one way or another in the tech space. But there was a false alarm for a ballistic missile launch in Hawaii. And um, I'm sure that anybody who hasn't been living under a rock for the past two days has heard about this and has seen the screenshots of what that notification looked like. But uh, it took them a little over a half an hour to roll that back saying that it was a false alarm. <laughs> so people had a full like 36 minutes where they were freaking out and they were thinking that the world was going to end. So yeah. like that's that's not a good look. That's scary. <laughs> Like, that's so bad. And um, Well, I know the Hawaii's governor and one of the senators, they were tweeting out that it was a false alarm as soon as they could. But yeah. was, that's, that's horrifying. Did if you see that, that come up? <laughs> yeah, I did see that. Yeah, if that happens to me, like, I'm not going to be checking Twitter. I'm going to be, like, contacting right. my family and, like, yeah. getting my dog and myself to, to safety and, like, making sure that everybody that I know and love is safe. And, like, I'm not going to be checking Twitter to see what people are saying, like, I'm pretty uh, sure they're not going to climb under your roof and watch it burn. <laughs> <laughs> Most people I know do not follow their local governor of the state on Twitter. Right. So who's going to see that? But um, but yeah, I know. Uh, it's uh, you know, it's, it's ridiculous, especially with the way the news has been with North Korea and all that lately. Um, mm -hmm. And we talked about this a bit on the pre-show, but um, there was news that broke. Uh, earlier today i think or late last night about how the telecom industry in hawaii had apparently lobbied to not have this technology tested so an untested alert system triggered a false alarm which put many people into a huge panic and i don't know if you saw some of the videos of people like putting their kids into storm drains and stuff like that oh man like that's so scary and like there was people like little anecdotes i saw on the reddit post about that where um they were saying mothers were they have a a shelter in their backyard from left over from pearl harbor in hawaii that um they had built an underground shelter in the event of an attack and she was like i just went in she's like i had a moment in the room where i woke up to this alert and i was just like oh my god it's happening and like she grabbed her kids and like entered this like this like almost like robotic phase where she was just getting people into this shelter and like throwing in food and like filling the bathtubs with water and like getting the dog in there and putting in all the food that they had into the shelter and then a half an hour later they learned it's a false alarm <laughs> like can you imagine like <laughs> what must be <laughs> can you imagine what must be like going through these people's minds when they find out that all of that panic was due to some guy hitting a wrong button at work like yeah apparently it happened during a change of shift and somebody hit the wrong button on the way out the door and triggered a false alarm so 
why is there no failsafe on this button? Right. Like, why is there not a two a two step security process or something? Why like, wasn't what? it? <laughs> why wasn't it tested? That's the thing that I want to know. Like, exactly. why why did they feel it was so important to not have it tested? So, um, <laughs> I feel like uh, this is another thing that's big in closed systems with technology that needs to be tested and vetted before it's put into a production use, especially like this, if it's that important for the infrastructure. Yeah. Because the what I'm worried about now is not so much is this technology going to work when it's needed, but are people going to believe it now? Like, I think that if you do this, it's almost like a cried wolf thing where yeah, people hurts, just... hurts credibility. Yeah, like, uh, people are going to be more skeptical the next time this thing does trigger. And God forbid it's another accident, but, like, if it triggers again and it's a serious event, I'm worried that people aren't going to put as much faith in this in the technology that's built to protect them which is dangerous and it's something that anybody who has any influence in any of this technology that may be listening should put some emphasis on like if you're gonna get this and it's and you're gonna make sure that this stuff works like you gotta test it you gotta you gotta vet that like there's got to be fail safes in place where a single button press doesn't trigger an alert that makes people think they're about to get hit with a <laughs> ballistic missile. Like, there's a few there's a few things missing from this that I think are, are very important. It's but, also kind of a wake up call to me. It's like, well, the same fallible people are in charge of these rockets. <laughs> right. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And it's it's something that we're only human. Yeah. Right. And uh, I don't even. Oh man, I don't like it. Yeah. It's not. No, me either. It's, it's not good. <laughs> But yeah. um, I, I just feel like that um, it's something that needs to be talked about, and it was something that needed to be brought up because it's, it's important, and it's mm -hmm. it's not, it's just not good, man. <laughs> no. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. But um, but yeah, uh, I didn't know if you had anything else, if you wanted to bring up. But I think that is. I think that's everything for this week. Yeah, I think so. Um, we just to as a note to the viewers, uh, we do not have a topic for the deep dive this week, so um, that is we're not gonna we're gonna be skipping that this week. Um, but if anybody has any suggestions on anything they would like to hear, uh, please reach out to us on any one of our social media platforms. You can get in touch with us um, via Twitter, iTunes, uh, through reviews, Facebook. Um, you can even reach out to us on our Instagram account. Um, we're available on any of the, the major social media platforms. And we also stream weekly. Um, just not this week. We're a little bit short-staffed um, on streaming to Twitch, YouTube, and Periscope. Um, but, yeah, um, if you want to reach out to us, um, feel free to uh, find us on any of your favorite podcasting apps. You can find us on Google Play. You can find us on iTunes. Um, you can find us on, I think we're even on TuneIn Radio and any of your favorite podcatcher apps. And you can even trigger us with your new Google Home device or your new Amazon device. Uh, we're available on the services that those pull for podcasts as well. So um, with that being said, um, please uh, feel free to leave us a review on iTunes or Facebook that helps us get to more people and increases our visibility so more people can hear the latest in technology news. And uh, it's not something that we like to beg about every week, but it does help increase our reach. And we love reading the reviews as well. And 
if you do leave us a review, we will um, read you out live over the next episode that we publish, and we check that weekly. And we have a couple of reviews, but it's always exciting to get more, and I love reading them, and I love kind of it makes the show better. It helps us adapt to what people actually want to hear about. Um, but with that being said, um, this has been IFRO, and I uh, look forward to seeing you guys in the next one. Thank you.